Hello, and welcome back to another great discussion, another edition of The Analysts. I'm Joni Balter, KCTS 9 political analyst, along with C.R. Douglas, political analyst for Q13. And hey, CR, you know this. We don't need an election on the horizon to talk politics. We can always talk politics. We can talk politics pretty much every day of the week. On this podcast, we will discuss the potential presidential recount in a few Rust Belt states and a local connection to that. We also must dive into the future of the Democrats and Republicans in Washington state. And we will take a quick look at the upcoming legislative session in light of the election results and an effort to make it easier to prosecute police officers who use deadly force. And even a bit more. CR, maybe you had too much turkey to notice, <laughs> but there could be a recount. This could be the election that never ends. What do you make of all of that? Well, I think there certainly is going to be a recount because the Green Party candidate Jill Stein has raised enough money certainly to do it in Wisconsin, where I believe it's already started, and very likely Michigan and Pennsylvania. She picked those three states because they were the closest outcomes of Donald Trump's kind of upset victory, if you will. Um, it's not going to change the results. I mean, while the margins in those states are slim, they're not slim enough. Uh, they're not that slim in Pennsylvania, for example. 65,000 votes, something like that. Yeah, I think it's 10,000 in Michigan, 30,000 in Wisconsin. So, you know, I mean, out of several million casts. So, like I said, slim, but, but, but even if there's some irregularities, she's not going to be able to, to flip those states. And, in fact, she would have to flip all three to win the election, and that's just uh, that's just not likely. It's kind of odd that Jill Stein is doing this. She's um, a guilty woman, huh? <laughs> she's apparently hoping it will reverse the election and that Clinton gets it, which is odd because the whole campaign, she was critical almost more of Clinton than of Trump. And it's all now, about that asterisk in history <laughs> next to her name. She's working for an asterisk. She seems <laughs> like she now wants a Clinton victory. If she wanted a Clinton victory so bad, she wouldn't have run or she would have, you know, said to people on the campaign trail, if you must choose between Trump and Clinton, um, pick Clinton. I think it would have been wrong for for the Hillary camp to have initiated this recount. I mean, they're not participating, but they, they aren't funding it. They didn't start it. And by participating, it's really they're going to send some monitors and then some advisors when these recounts happen. Um, you know, that sounds reasonable to me. She's getting criticism for that. Maybe it's too nuanced. And the fact that she's a part of the recount is just going to is just going to feel like she is the recount to many. But I think, you know, it's 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 something Jill Stein is going to do anyway. And so to have sort of advisors on the scene from the Hillary camp makes sense. Well, I'll tell you what I think about this. I think this is really tough. It puts Hillary Clinton in a very tough spot if you think about it. She was the one telling Donald Trump that it was irresponsible to go around in debates and other places and saying that the election is rigged before it happened, uh, before he won. And so for her to now say, in essence, she's not using those words, but to now say, in essence, that it's rigged, that is just awkward and puts everybody but, in, but a, to in be, a... to be fair, she's not saying it's rigged. Um, and she didn't initiate it, and she's not raising money for this. She's simply saying a recount's happening, so we might as well have our people on the scene because their judgment calls that are made during recount, right? You look at these hand ballots oh, and you put them up to a microscope, oh, you know. Yeah. And so having having uh, having sort of people there to kind of monitor, and my guess is Trump will too. 
um, to monitor kind of the recount makes sense. But but I don't think it's her saying she's not suggesting even that it's going to change the outcome. In fact, her people say we don't think it will change the outcome, but we're just going to be there to monitor the process. So the other concern that I see for for this recount, Jill Stein, Hillary Clinton, any of them, is that they're only challenging results in three states that could turn the election back to the Democrats. Why wouldn't Donald Trump then say, and he did some of this over the weekend, say, let's recount states that went to Hillary because I, you know, what about me? And he did a what about me on Sunday. He did a bit where he said, you know, millions of, of illegal votes were cast. And then he mentioned states, you know, that, that went for Hillary, like California, Virginia, New Hampshire. So how do you how do you not recount everything if you recount something? Yeah, cherry to... picking the recount has has its own downsides. You know, the interesting thing about Donald Trump and now questioning the popular vote is this is a guy that cannot take yes for an answer. <laughs> he won the election. You know, put it behind you. Obviously, he's 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 worried or or you know, doesn't love that the popular vote has gone against him by over 2 million. So now he's... he's you think? He a, he you think a, he doesn't love that? It seems like he was in a good space to be saying, the you know, the election's over, we're moving forward, the recount seems hypocritical, Hillary and Jill Stein and all the rest. Um, you know, he was kind of on some moral high ground there um, because they were, as you say, claiming before the election... Why Donald Trump won't you accept the results? Why can't you say now that you know and 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 now, after the election, when he wins, he's saying it's a rigged system, which is crazy because he won. It's all about the uh, the Twitter account in some ways because you know it is not presidential to be tweeting out every thought you have about some news story that's evolving over a weekend. I mean, it just it just becomes crazy. And you know, of course, that nobody has actually, and people have been looking at this, nobody has actually discovered any irregularities yet. They were looking for things that would kind of highlight this. So this is really, uh, by Jill Stein, particularly a shot in the dark It's an ego trip for her. Uh, Or an unego. She doesn't (laughs) want to be the person, you know, that did what she did. Right. Um, And also, CR, did you know that there is a local connection to the recount? I did hear that. The Democrats, their national lawyer is a gentleman I've met him before. His name is Mark Elias. And he jumped in on behalf of Hillary Clinton and the Democrats to monitor the recount. Uh, You know, they're they're saying what you're saying, that he just wants to make sure it's done properly, fairly. But there is another person involved in this, and it's Seattle lawyer Kevin Hamilton. Sources are telling me that he will also be involved if it ends up being three states, he will be involved. And here's the local connection that's even further of that. He was one of the key lawyers when Washington State had that recount back in 2004. Remember, the governor's race here between Chris Gregoire, the Democrat, versus Dino Rossi. That came out in favor of Chris Gregoire. Washingtonians, don't you all remember that? Uh, Kevin Hamilton also helped... Uh, longtime comedian Al Franken in a recount in Minnesota in 2010. Franken is now not the comedian anymore. He's a senator. He's a senator. So that means they won that one. This one appears to me, I don't know enough about, you know, any irregularities that they might find, much, much tougher. 
And remember, even the White House said there's no evidence of yeah. that kind not, of interference. Right. And we're not just talking about one state, which which the Al Franken situation, the Dino Rossi situation, you know, those, those are one states. We're now talking about three states where where, again, to to reverse the outcome would be would be, you know, unprecedented, to say the least. I will say, even though I think the recount doesn't make sense and is probably, uh, you know, going to going to tar Clinton a little bit by just being associated with it. Yeah, it's a little bit like, you know, you were all about the system has to work. The smooth transition has to happen. And now you're saying, oh, well, there's this recount. And uh, Yeah. yeah, I'll send my lawyers in. And, and again, while I think it's it's nuanced, I think there is a real difference between initiating it and just participating in it. But there is an argument for having periodic audits and checks of our system. You know, it is dangerously easy if you talk to election experts to tamper with some of our balloting. Now, this idea of a rigged system and a and a rigging of the outcome nationwide that's almost impossible we have 50 states with different systems and even every state has different counties with different systems but what you can do is target your tampering so the worry is that a close state like a battleground state in Ohio or Michigan you know we'll know what the battleground states are you know based on polling going into it Someone could. Oh, that awesome polling that predicted yeah. everything, right? But someone who wanted, you know, had sinister motives could go in to a close state and the close counties in those close states and play around with the memory chips of these optical scan voting machines and, you know, potentially do Wait, damage. your day job is you're on TV, right? <laughs> <laughs> But I'm just saying, you know, I've, I've looked at election experts and they and they do cite the real possibility that this could be done, not in a massive nationwide scale and maybe not even on a statewide scale, but on on a couple of selected counties. It's possible. So I think the idea of getting into a habit, if you will, of and maybe it's a national uh, a kind of effort to systematically spot check various counties and do audits between paper ballots and the machine counts is not a bad idea. So the upside of this whole Jill Stein thing will be that there will in effect be an audit of three states, cherry-picked to be sure, but to see whether there is any irregularity in in the paper ballots versus the machine counts, something we probably should be doing more regularly. We know that sinister forces have wanted to kind of affect the elections. Cyber criminals are getting bigger and better. And, and this is probably something that will happen in the future. I mean, that does segue. We're not going to do this, but it segues into the false news that was generated outside this country. So I guess I guess maybe if it just makes us all feel better that the election was was for real, maybe that is a good outcome. Um, moving on to Donald Trump. Um, how do you think the state's going to, going to fare, uh, under a Trump's America? My quick take is that I think an infrastructure package, which seems likely is going to, is going to help Washington. You know, I-5 is glaringly to the end of its lifespan in most places. The transportation package that, that was approved a couple, a couple years ago actually doesn't have much for I-5, a little bit to relieve that JBLM congestion, but there are tons of I-5 that needs to be, needs to be upgraded. I think an infrastructure package could certainly help that. Could help sound transit. You know, the $54 billion sound transit measure. Wasn't enough. <laughs> $5 billion of that. Is, is an assumption that the federal government will come in to help. And so an infrastructure package with Patty Murray as now the number three Democrat, a big senior uh, position in the Senate, she could help, you know, that's going to be one big 
pork barrel you as, know, it, as it always has been. As <laughs> and so she could potentially get more sound transit money out of an infrastructure package, something she's done in the past. Well, my take on this is I think it will constantly, hourly, daily drive Donald Trump completely bonkers <laughs> that the whole left coast is not on his team. I'm talking about Silicon Valley, Amazon, Washington. He, it just will not work for him that they're going to march, should we say, to their own grunge music. Uh, all but ignoring or trying to ignore his presidency. Uh, I think a very important appointee that will affect these states is the attorney general nominee, should he be confirmed by the Senate, Jeff Sessions. So think about this. Marijuana, recreational marijuana, is now legal from the California-Mexico border all the way to Alaska. Sessions is not a big fan, as you may have heard, (laughs) of pot. He once uh, was accused of saying, I'm not sure that he actually did say, that he'd be okay with the KKK. He thought they were pretty pretty okay until he learned that some members smoked pot. <laughs> so very clearly, people in these states, I bet, have forgotten the fact that, yes, these states have approved uh, marijuana laws that allow um, – purchase of recreational marijuana, but that is subject to federal deference to the states. And even when it was approved by then Attorney General Eric Holder, the idea was that it would be this trust but verify, that the states had to meet certain conditions. So Sessions, in my take, is pretty anti-marijuana, and he loved the war on drugs. The only the only countervailing point to that is if you listen to Donald Trump talk, he doesn't seem to care that much about this subject. I'm thinking he has so many other fish to fry and boil and yeah. and all the rest yeah. of it that he maybe just, you know, wouldn't make that a priority, but that doesn't mean Sessions wouldn't. And and you're right. I mean, the the marijuana legalization efforts of which we are one example, rely on the federal government basically turning a blind eye. They could come in and do raids. They could come down and shut this operation um, down overnight. And they have chosen under Obama to not do so. He said he will let the states experiment as long as they, as you say, abide by certain laws and there's not a lot of trafficking to other states and that kind of thing. But the, the, the recreational pot experiment relies and has relied on the federal government's cooperation. And so the voters in those states, I don't know if, like, again, I don't know if they remember this, but they approved those knowing that they had to wait and hear from the federal government, which issued this letter uh, shortly after Washington and Colorado, which went first, approved their laws. CR. I think you and I still have some election mop-up to do. You up for that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, namely, what do the results tell you about our local Democratic and Republican parties? What's well, the future well, look like terms, for them? In terms of the statewide results, um, it's interesting because the Democrats, they had a pretty good night here. But yet they're the party that seems to be doing the most soul-searching about the election and, and potentially a change in their party leadership here. Um, they really held their own. I mean, they were hoping to have a much better outcome um, that would position them better, especially in the legislature, but but they didn't get it. In terms of the easy races, 
the non-competitive races, if you will, governor, senator, lieutenant governor. I think uh, governor was competitive. Yeah. It just wasn't that competitive. Wasn't that competitive. But all, but all the sort of easier races, if you will, they won. Where they faced serious competition, it was a real mixed bag. I mean, they weren't able to pick up any seats in the state house, so they still only have a razor-thin majority, 50 to 48. And they only picked up one seat in the, in the state senate, but they still are in the minority there, 24 to 25. And in the statewide competitive races, if you will, it was a mixed record. I mean, they won lands commissioner. It was a big win for them, but they lost uh, secretary of state. So Clinton's coattails were not as strong as you might have thought. We do have evidence that late votes went Republican. Perhaps that was a final disgust at the the Clinton emails and all that kind of stuff. Um, But just a few months ago, the expectation was that Republicans were going to get wiped out because of the Trump effect, that they would lose the state Senate, they would potentially lose the House, they would lose a lot of the statewide offices, um, and, and they didn't. I mean, it was actually, you know, in some ways a draw. To be fair, I thought we we would be discussing the opposite of what we're discussing, sort of how to put the Republican Party back together or what even was the Republican Party. But instead, as, as you're pointing out here, uh, the Democrats are the ones that are trying to figure out what, is, what does it all mean for them. It, it may be more subtle than we uh, media folks think. I mean, you have Jackson Ravens as the Democratic Party chair. And you have some kind of rumblings from the Bernie Sanders folks in the state who are saying that uh, the sort of corporate Hillary Clinton wing of the party does have some troubles. And so that they are considering they should have done better in a Trump year. They should have done better in a Trump year. But that said, I'm going to kind of agree with you on on a couple of things. You know, Hillary Clinton, 16 points. That's more than some of the polls had her at in Washington state. Jay Inslee, the governor, beat the forecast that we in our Washington poll had. Uh, That showed a six-point race. In fact, the race was nine points. And I don't know if you looked at those last numbers that, that I saw posted this week. The governor's race and the lieutenant governor's race in favor of Democrat Lieutenant Governor Cyrus Habib, Lieutenant Governor-elect, we should call him, was exactly the same number. So it <laughs> appears that people just went yes, yes to the, to the Democrats there by exactly the same margin. The Republicans do have some things to crow about. As you said, they held on to the state Senate, not by much. That's going to be very tentative depending on what happens there. And, and they won the treasurer's office. I think there are actually some other bright spots for Republicans, and it's mostly down in Pierce County. You know, for the first time in 16 years, a Republican, Bruce Dammeyer, won the Pierce County executive's office. The, the, the Republicans also retain control of the Pierce County Council. So that's a big, important, and, and I think still underestimated event. You know, Pierce County is the second largest county in the state. It's a redder county and getting redder. And the fact that the GOP now controls that county and a guy like Dan Meyer, kind of an up-and-coming, bright, shining star in the Republican Party, probably early 50s. I mean, he's not, he's not 40, but he's not 60. He has a real chance of being a player in the future. You know, part of the Republicans' problems is they don't have a bench, if you will. They don't have first-tier candidates to run for governor, to run for senator, to run for lieutenant governor. I mean, Dan Meyer 
has the chance to rack up a strong record in Pierce County as a county council that's on his side, so he'll have a friendly legislature. He'll be a real player, uh, I think, in 2020 for either governor or one of the big positions. So as an election nerd, I have watched Pierce County for many, many years because I have noticed what you said, that it was trending Trending tide would be more of, you know, toward the tie. It used to be very reliably Democratic and blue. And I one time even went out um, to tour eastern Pierce County uh, with a state legislator to write a column about it because I was so interested in what was going on out there. Uh, That part of the county is definitely getting more conservative and affecting the overall total. Uh, and as you point out, you know, county executive, that's a pretty good position if you ever want to run for governor. Think about the history in our state. Uh, we've had two King County executives who went on to become governor, Gary Locke and John Spellman, and Pierce County, former Pierce County executive Gardner. Booth Gardner. Yeah. He became governor. By contrast, Seattle mayor, this is just an on- ongoing fact, is one of the worst launching pads for governor. One note to all of that. Uh, the current Pierce County Executive, Pat McCarthy, she is the new state auditor, so a uh, statewide office again for the Democrats. And please remember, oh my gosh, this story never ended. Uh, nothing but trouble with the current Democratic auditor of the state of Washington, Troy Kelly. He spent most of his term defending some of his more suspect behavior. He didn't seek re-election, as you know. He had nothing but trouble with federal prosecutors who had charged him with theft and more in connection with some real estate business that he had. Back to the Democrats. Um, Interesting to watch that intra-party fight there. And also, um, I'm thinking uh, uh, Republican Party chairwoman Susan Hutchinson. We interviewed her, and she had been talking, and I don't think anybody paid one ounce of attention to this, but she had been talking about uh, Republicans starting to gain steam in uh, counties along the Pacific Washington coast. And that is what happened. If you look at that map, I love that map. If you look at that map, Donald Trump won Clallam, Grays Harbor, Mason, and Pacific counties. It's economic issues. It's Bernie Sanders issues. We could see a change for the Democrats there if this becomes an entrenched voting pattern. And I think that is the core, maybe, of the debate within the Democratic Party. What are you going to do with those traditionally blue counties that are now trending because of economic issues to be more Republican? Because it's the same thing that's happening nationally, which is that the Democratic Party is getting more urban, concentrated on the big cities, and the Republican Party is 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 kind of focused on, on the suburbs and the rural areas. I mean, you just look because at the sort very of red clearly, map. Because very clearly, the economic boom or good times, whatever the right word there, is in the cities where these big tech companies are, things like that. But in rural Washington, the economy is not good. Yeah. And it's hard for people here uh, to remember and that. And so in, in Washington, you look at the maps, and as you say, the the rural areas, which used to be more, uh, certainly Grace Carver and that kind of area, more Democratic, they kind of have lost that white working class vote and that rural vote, and they're focused and really core is now the urban areas. Now, the urban areas are big in Washington, and that's why the 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 democrats do so well uh, right because the population the senate races and the ag races and the governor's races but 
it 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 potentially has some long term effects on on the 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 problems of the Democratic Party and, and potentially the upside of the Republican Party about Susan Hutchison, the Republican Party chair. You know, just a few months ago, there was a question about whether she was going to sur- whether she was going to survive. Oh, absolutely! You know, she has to be elected by yeah. you know committee chairs from from around the the state, and there was a worry that. That it was going to be, you know, she had gotten into bed with Trump so much. Uh, the worry was. Did you have to that, phrase it like yeah, that? <laughs> the worry was that they were going to lose the Senate, potentially lose seats in the House, you know, not do well in other local elections, and that and that she was going to have to pay pay the price. But I think they were strong enough. They kept that Senate, which was really, I think, the 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 number. And that's one where the benchmark. money went. That's where the money went. Big um, big dough into that, that. I, that. I think she will stand for re-election in in January. I think, and I think we'll we'll do fine. I think Jackson Ravens, the Democratic chair. We, as you say, there's been some 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 progressive rumbling. I'm not sure his his position is that vulnerable, but just the fact that there is some worry on that side suggests the difference uh, the parties have after this election. So, CR, I'm looking ahead to the legislature uh, as one or and one order of business there involves police accountability. Are you following initiative 873? A little it, bit. Yes. It is a potential initiative. In other words, it needs to gather enough signatures uh, first to the legislature that would change the rules for prosecuting police involved in the use of deadly force. Currently, the law says police officers who use deadly force cannot face criminal charges unless prosecutors can prove that the officer or officers acted with malice and without good faith. And that has proven to make it almost impossible to prosecute an officer in such cases. What do you think are the chances that the law will change without the initiative? Um, I think probably close to zero. Um, it has been considered in Olympia before, but it hasn't gotten anywhere. And that's partly because, mostly really, because the Republicans control the state Senate and they have not been amenable to this. In fact, the head of the state law and justice committee, Mike Padden from over in Spokane, he doesn't like this. It's unlikely that he's allow going to allow a vote on this. So, Don't they with- say that if, they're, you know, if something's really controversial and your legislature is so almost evenly split that they just punt, right? Well, they just punt or or be, or their inaction causes an initiative to surface. And that's really what's happened here. I mean, these initiative uh, – people behind this initiative have been frustrated by inaction in the legislature. So it's, it's sort of like the minimum wage effort. It's like the gun background check effort. You know, they were first tried in Olympia in some cases several times – and nothing Almost happened. as a way of explaining to voters later, look, we tried the legislature. They won't do whatever it is. Right. right? Um, and this would seem to have a pretty good chance. I mean, the, the, the concept of the initiative is to relax that standard so that you don't have to prove malice, which is basically prove that the officer was evil, which is almost impossible, but prove that they um, they were reckless, you know, something more like like that standard. My guess is that would probably do well in an initiative. You know, there's there's a lot of work that 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 this measure or that these cop shootings um, are more and more unjustified. In fact, a task force that was set up by the legislature, that's one thing they did do is they set up a task force to kind of look into this. They recently recommended to change the standard, to lower the standard, to get rid of that malice language. It was a close vote, I think 14 to 12, but it did pass. But it's, it's, it's clearly going to be a controversial issue. 
Um, but my guess is after 30 years of a track record with the Malice Standard, because this goes back to 86, and with only one cop ever having been charged with with uh, an improper deadly force situation, and even he was acquitted because at trial the standard wasn't proved, I think there's going to be a sense that this is probably uh, a standard that's too high and ought to be relaxed. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm all over this topic this week because I'm hosting a civic cocktail where we will have the sponsor of the initiative, Andre Taylor. He will discuss, you know, signature gathering, which is a, was a concern. I don't, I don't know how well it's going. Um, and all that's behind it, uh, namely in his case, his brother, Che Taylor, was shot by police last winter. And he just discovered he has few options to deal with it. Uh, looking ahead to the legislature in another area, I'm interested to hear what uh, the governor's task force has in mind on education funding. This is supposedly the moment when the governor will make his big move, or maybe because the legislature is so divided, as we've been saying, it'll be kind of a smaller move. It's also uh, something to look for is whether or not there will be a renewed effort to create a more popular carbon tax this time. This was what you would call an unpopular Yeah, this one. is um, Initiative 732 that, that, that was defeated pretty pretty soundly, 60-40. I think a carbon tax is dead. These are my quick takes on what's going to happen in the legislature. Um, that's an overwhelmingly no vote. Um, the only place it won, in fact, was King County. So the minute – Inslee tries to even mention carbon tax, you can bet Republicans and others are going to say, hey, what part of no did you not get with that vote of the people? So I think that's pretty dead in arrival, don't you? No, I don't. I kind of want to quibble with that because I think the word got out and, and people were like, what does this all mean? But word got out that environmentalists uh, didn't like this initiative. And so people were like, well, geez, if the environmentalists don't like this, why in the world would I vote for this? And so you know this as well as I do. Whenever there's doubt, folks are not... Doubt goes to no. Doubt equals no, yeah, generally yeah. speaking. So I you're mean, saying if a new initiative came forward that had the environmental community behind it, it would have a chance. It would pass in more counties, and that's how you pass. One, <laughs> one other thing on McCleary, because you mentioned it, I think school funding, of course, is the big elephant in the room. That's clearly the biggest item they have to deal with when the legislature convenes in January. Um, I think the dynamic's going to be exactly the same as it's been the last several budget cycles. Since the McCleary decision, the legislature has been in this dynamic of Democrats want to increase revenue to fulfill McCleary, capital gains tax, carbon tax, other things. And Close the, the loopholes. And the Republicans have, have held the line saying, hey, we can do this with an existing revenue. We can, you know, cut other parts of the budget. And what they have finally settled on after the 11th hour and all these budget negotiations is Democrats basically give on new taxes, but the Republicans are willing to close a couple loopholes. My feeling is the exact same thing's going to happen, even though they have a $3 billion fix this time from McCleary. I don't know if we have enough loopholes. I think probably at the end of the day, they'll close a few loopholes. They will not increase any major tax. And they'll benefit from the economic boom or something like or that. Or I think right. what's more likely is that they will not f completely fulfill McCleary. Um, they will fulfill part of it, but not all of it. But listen, not fulfilling McCleary hasn't hurt them. I mean, I you, show me anyone who has lost their job, either Republican or Democrat, because of the, because of the McCleary decision. Or worried about a fine from the Supreme Court. There's not been a huge <laughs> blowback from the public. Yeah. So I think they're likely to make some progress on McCleary. I think the court will then tell them it's not enough. 
you know, reprimand them once more and they will basically kind of ignore that and keep going forward. That is the dynamic that's basically worked for them up to now. And I don't see any change in that. I feel like I've covered that story over and over and over again. <laughs> the movie's going to be replayed. It's like a loop. It's yeah, a loop it is real. Groundhog Day. And that Day. is because and the no- exact same dynamic exists. You have a governor that's Democrat. You have a House that's Democrat. And you have a Senate that's Republican. Woo, CR. Almost as much to talk about as those days leading up to the election. And off we go. He's C.R. Douglas. I'm Joni Balter, and we are The Analysts. For more political coverage, please visit us at kcts9.org, and thanks so much for listening. To hear more podcasts from KCTS 9 Digital Studios, visit kcts9.org slash podcasts.